there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We're going to continue with our series on the flesh and the spirit entitled The War Within. Uh, We're just simply kind of examining uh, this war that we all have going on inside of us to do the right thing. Um, Paul talks about it. Uh, He he says, I'm paraphrasing, but the things that I know I should do, the things that I want to do, the thing that the the Spirit leads me to do, I don't do. I end up doing the very thing that I hate. And so we've been talking about this battle that we have once our heart is regenerated in Christ between our old life, our old way of doing things, our old attitudes, uh, and and our new way of doing things, our new life, our new attitudes. And they're in constant conflict with each other. And and the net result of that is it creates this war uh, against ourselves. We have this war going on inside of us. And so for the last five weeks... Uh, We have been launching from the passage you just saw on that video from Galatians chapter 5. For the next few weeks, however, we're going to slide over a book to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And before we get into our text this morning, uh, I just want to remind you of something uh, that we said week one when we kind of launched this series. Uh, and, And that was simply this. This is a real battle. This is a battle that it's not a metaphor that's Paul, that Paul's using. It's not some form of hyperbole that he's using. It is a real battle. It is a battle that we face every day. And for some of you, it's a battle you face every hour. And for others, it's a battle you face from minute to minute. It is this real battle between the spirit and the flesh. We all face it. Let me say that again. We all face it. Uh, I think there's this misconception that preachers have somehow elevated themselves to holiness or that God has, I don't like this word, this hedge of protection around them and that preachers don't really face this battle of the spirit in the flesh. Um, I would tell you nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I would submit to you that we may face it more um, because as leaders of the church, um, the, the devil wants leaders to fall. If leaders fall, uh, churches scatter. If, if leaders fall, people leave the faith. And so it, it is this immense battle. And so I say that to say, if you're going through it, I understand it because I go through it too. I just got done listening to a, a, a podcast that um, really brought me to tears. Um, it, it's a podcast on a fallen megachurch preacher um, and throughout the duration of, of this podcast, uh, they, they remind the listener of all of the megachurch pastors who've had fallings just in the last couple of years. Um, and the, these guys are heavy hitters. These are guys that I've sat under in church conferences and listened to and have been encouraged by. These are all great movers and shakers of the kingdom. All of them who have fallen uh, recently have churches of 10,000 members plus. Just recently, two, two of the, the most well-known preachers in our country have fallen uh, due to sexual 
uh, improprieties. That's just a nice way of saying they've stepped outside of their marriage uh, and had affairs. Um, there's a preacher that is a megachurch uh, pastor that has fallen recently due to alcohol addiction. Uh, another one recently just fell, uh, and the reason given is, is that he bullied his staff. He would literally get angry, throw his cell phone, and cuss his staff members, his other ministers on staff, out. Another preacher was, was fired for the sin of, of arrogance and pride. Another one for embezzling money. And, and these are leaders among leaders who have fallen. And so the, crop thought, the thought crossed my mind is, is this, is if these men of God, and I, and I don't believe they're evil men, I just believe that the flesh got the better of them uh, during a season of their life. If they can fall and fail in their flesh, that means that we can all fall and fail in the flesh. And so this is a very real war that we find ourselves in. It's, it's a real war, and like any other war, uh, there's collateral damage and there's casualties uh, involved. And so we're going to move into Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, before we get there, uh, let me just preface it with this. Um, this is a letter written to a group of believers, a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul, uh, known as the Ephesians, and so we call it the book of Ephesians. Um, and this was probably Paul's crown jewel. He loved the church in Ephesus. Uh, he was there for three years, longer than he stayed at any other church plant. Uh, they had great leaders. But Ephesus was this evil, wicked city, all right? And, and, but in this city, you have what I believe was the first megachurch. I think Ephesus was a huge church. Um, and, and they were disrupting culture in the world, in the city of Ephesus. So much so that there were riots going on. There was all kinds of crazy things that, that happened in Ephesus. And uh, the net result is uh, this evil city. You had people infiltrating the church and Paul is going to write this letter to tell them to take a stand. He's going to write this letter to tell them that, hey, we're on a battlefield here. Um, and so it's the famous armor of God passage. Now, uh, just truth be told, we're not even going to get into the armor today. I'm going to get through two verses. Uh, like I said, we're going to just take our time in this series. But here's how Paul opens up the, the armor of God section in Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, and I want to also tell you uh, this, if you're wondering why there's no media, it's a, it's a me, it's my fault, it's not our, our production minister's fault. I changed my sermon yesterday, uh, and, and so we're going to go straight organic like we did in 1983. Uh, just open your Bibles, uh, no scriptures are going to be on the screen, those of you who are watching online, you know, open your Bibles as well. So Ephesians 6, picking up in verse 10. Paul says, finally, so he's ending the letter, and he's going to end it with a battle cry. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So let me say that again, in the strength of his might. So whose might are we strong in? The Lord's might, not our, our might. You, you, your might's not going to get you very far. It's, I've tried that. It, it does not get you far, especially when you're battling the flesh. So he says, be strong in his might. And then he moves into the, the, the passage we're all familiar with. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
And so, like I said, we'll get into the whole armor next week. Today, I want to focus on verse 11. And in particular, I want to focus on the last part of that verse where Paul says, stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand firm against him. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone, but the devil is a schemer. Have you ever been scammed or schemed? I mean, I know you probably get those phone calls that tell you your car warranty's expired or the IRS is coming after you or if you don't call right now, the police are going to show up. All these, all these scams and, and these schemes on these phone calls. No one likes to be schemed. Right, just uh, some of you may have been caught up in a Ponzi scheme, right? Where if you sell this and you get these people to sell under you, and you you'll work your way up the pyramid. Nobody likes to be schemed. That's all the devil does. Scripture says he is a liar. There is no truth in him. His native tongue is lying and scheming and deceiving. And so the thought occurred to me, in order to battle against these schemes of the devil, of the world, of the flesh, before we even put the armor of God on, we should know what we're up against. So I want to answer the question this morning, what does that mean? What are the devil's schemes? What are ways that he will try to trick us, bamboozle us, hoodwink us, scheme us? And I think there's all kinds of subcategories of, of his characteristics. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. Um, you know, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, I think there's three main ways that the devil tries to scheme us. And I want to talk about those this morning, and then next week we'll get into the, the full armor of God. So if you're taking notes the old-fashioned way, here's point number one. Uh, I think the first way the devil schemes us, and I think this is the most prevalent, is through what I would call evil application. Let me say that again, evil application. And what I mean by that is that Satan will use the good things that God has given us and twist them for an evil purpose. Okay, so there's a couple of things that you don't hear a lot of preachers preach about from the pulpit on a regular basis. Sex and money. All right. And what gets us into trouble any more than sex or money? I mean, you, you can link almost every sin we commit to sex or money, but we remain silent in the evangelical church on the subject. Both sex and money are gifts from God. They're, they're, they're good things, but the devil can take those good things and use them for evil. So I want to talk about those two subjects just as a case study for this point. Um, let's talk about sex first. Sex, the desire for sex is a gift from God. It's not a perversion from the enemy. It, so if you're, I'm a, I'm a red-blooded man, all right, and, and I desire women. I desire my wife. She is I hope I, I don't want to be like that pastor, but, you know, I, she's sexy to me. Um, and, and I feel I'm somewhat sexy to her. I don't know. Um, I, I, you can ask her, right? But so this desire that we have for one another is, is a gift from God. It's, it's one of the most beautiful things that God has gifted us with. Sex between a husband and a wife, it's this wonderful gift. You know, Jesus, remember he said, the two shall become one flesh. 
That's taken from uh, an old Hebrew word called the Dode principle, the word D-O-D. You'll see that word if you know Hebrew in the book of Song of Solomon's a lot. And what it means is uh, in the confines of marriage, when a husband and a wife lay down together in that act of intimacy, it's the Dode, the two souls be mingled together as one. The two shall become one flesh. And it's this beautiful, intimate thing that God has put in our hearts, that our, our desire for this. But the devil will take it and twist it and use what is good for evil. And there are a thousand illustrations I can go with this. I'll give you a few. There are men in this country and I dare say men in this church who have not had sex with their wives for years because they are so strung out and addicted and desensitized by pornography. And the net result is the, the wife feels inadequate. The wife feels betrayed. Intimacy is lost. The relationship becomes fractured. So you've got this thing given to you by God to, to build the marriage, to, to mingle together as one soul, to become one flesh that just totally is derailed for evil application. Who does the derailing? The enemy. Th there are women who are so dissatisfied with their marriages that they will seek emotional affairs, physical affairs, just any kind of intimacy they can find because they're not getting it from their husbands. And I'll just say this. I know I'm going to get a thousand emails on this. Men, when you get married, it is not your right to let yourself go. Just, you know, oh, she's stuck with me now. Like, Take care of yourself a little bit. And it goes both ways. I'm going to get in trouble. All right. I want you to think about our, our, our young girls for, for a second. Some punk comes along, right? 16, 15 years old. They're alone together. If you love me, you're going to let me have my way with you. I love you. If you love me, and then what happens? They give themselves away. Two or three days later, the boy breaks up with them and their hearts are ripped to shreds. Just the collateral damage is unspeakable. You said you love me. Well, he got what he wanted and he moved on. Evil application. You don't have to look any further than the pure epidemic of sex trafficking that's going on in this world. I mean, it is out of control. Do you know what the most expensive and the most sought-after encounter is in the sex trafficking world? Sex with young girls between the ages of 2 and 8 years old. Something good, Satan twists for evil application. I would say this, and you know, Jesus has a low tolerance for that. You remember that Jesus, Jesus called all of his followers to him, and he was talking about these children. And he said, listen, if you lay a hand on these children, if you, if, if, if you harm these children in any way, then a person ought to tie a, a millstone around your neck, and you should be thrown into the sea. 
Like Jesus goes Godfather here. Like we're going to put cement shoes on you and throw you in the, the bottom of the river. That's how serious he is about it. But it happens every day. Every day. The number one sex trafficking event in the world, you know what it is? The Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. People are coming in from out of town and they want a good time. And you have these forced sex laborers who have no choice in the matter. Something good, this desire God has given us, Satan takes it and twists it for evil application. And all kinds of nefarious activities. I can't go any further because we would get into the rated R section of the message. But I think you understand. So that's sex as an example. How about money? Do you know you can do a lot of good with money? You can be generous. You can help people. You can, you can help a single mom. You can help your neighbor. You can tithe to your church. You can help a missionary. There's so much good that you can do with money. But what Satan does is he can twist it and make it bad. And let me just, let me correct some aired thinking here. This is the most misquoted verse that I hear people say. People say, well, money is the root of all evil. Uh-uh. That's not what the scripture says, does it? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is neutral. It doesn't have a soul. But the love, like, I need a better house. I need a, bit, I need a faster car. I need better clothes. I need this. I need that. I need this latest gadget. And I've got to have this and I've got to have that. And I don't have enough money for it. So I'll just overextend myself and just charge it, charge it, charge it. And then you are in absolute financial bondage because you overindulge. So it's the love of money. That is the root of all evil. You know, this thing that we call currency that you can do so much good with can be twisted by the devil to do some pretty bad things. Cheating, stealing, indulging, insulating, embezzling. Instead of using it for good, he can twist it, evil application, and use it for evil. There's this... Uh, there's this event that happened in the book of Acts chapter 5. Let me back up. Chapter 4, the New Testament church is just this baby movement. It's just gotten started, right? Uh, and uh, the net result is what the church was doing, we're, we're, we're told in Acts chapter 4 that um, they sold, these members of these churches, they sold everything they had, all their possessions, and they gave it to anyone who was in need. All right, so you had this going on. Well, you get to Acts chapter 5, and, and you meet this couple called Ananias and Sapphira, all right? And so I think they were a part of this, the movement of the way of this church. And so I think they wanted to help this movement. So they had this track of land and they were going to sell this track of land. And then what they made on the sale, they were going to give to the church, okay? So it would be much like me saying, hey, I'm going to sell my truck out here um, and, you know, the highest bidder gets it and, and all the money that I make on my truck, we're going to send to the Rafa house to help fight sex trafficking. It's all going to go to these girls, all right? So here's what they did. They sold it under the presumption that, hey, this is going to help widows and orphans in the church. And, and I feel, Scripture doesn't say this, that maybe they got a little more uh, then they then they thought they were going to get because like here in Atlanta the market's high it's a seller's market uh, and they said well you know what we're just going to keep some of that for ourselves All right. even though we sold it under the pretense that 
You know, we're going to give it to the needy. We're going to keep it for ourselves. So if I sold my truck for $15,000 and I was like, well, it's only worth 10, so I'll give 10 to the Rafa house. And, you know, I've got all these renovations at home. I'll use that for renovations. All right. God does not look favorably on that at all. And so you see in Acts chapter 5 who is behind this. Look at verse 3. Peter's going to rebuke him. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? In other words, you were going to do this good thing, but Satan has come in and twisted it, and now you're going to keep the proceeds for yourself. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? God was very serious about this because two verses later, God struck Ananias dead. See, something that could be used for good, the devil twists it and uses it for evil application. You can, I mean, you could throw food in there. You could throw all kinds of things in there. You could throw wine, right? Wine in the Bible represents joy. At, at, at all these feasts and festivals, there was wine. Um, t- Paul tells Timothy, hey, a little bit of wine is good for your stomach, right? And, and so in moderation, it, it's okay, but the devil will twist that into saying, you know what, I need a bottle and a half of Merlot just to sleep tonight. And then the net result is you can't get up, you're hungover, you have a headache, you're not the father or the mother you're supposed to be. See, something that could be good, a gift from God, can be twisted and used for evil application. So that's the first way the devil schemes us. Here's the second way. Just through pure, direct opposition. Uh, A a news flash, which I I feel like everyone in here should know, Satan opposes the work of God. He does not want God's kingdom to advance. And if you are busy doing the work of God, that means Satan will directly oppose you. We get this promise from Jesus when he's talking to his disciples. This is, now know where we are in context. This is before Jesus is going to make the walk into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. Here's what he says. He says in John 15, 20, Remember the word I say to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, if they opposed me, if they're going to hang me on a tree, they will also persecute you. There's this opposition. Paul faced it. He was trying to get one of the, to one of these little churches that he planted um, uh, with the, uh, it's the Thessalonica church, Thessalonians, and he wants to come see them. They need him there. He wants to minister to them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to train and teach them, but he can't get there. And the reason he can't get there was not because all the Uber drivers were busy or, or because he had COVID. He couldn't get there. Because the devil wouldn't let him. He directly opposed him. Listen to what he writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Because I wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered me from coming to you. Uh, So week one of this series... Um, I said something that I didn't think was controversial, and then I started getting phone calls and emails. Um, Here's what I said. I said, in this battle between the spirit and the flesh, if you aren't saved, if you're not a Christian, 
If you have what we would call an unregenerated spirit, you don't have this battle going on. There's no inner conflict within you because you're just living in the flesh. It's only those of you who've had the spirit of God resurrect your spirit to life that this flesh starts to take over and this battle ensues. That blew some people's mind. Well, I'm going to prepare myself for some more emails this week. Uh, my, my email address is Andy Smothers <laughs> at ElevateCC.com. Andy's one of our elders. If the only thing you do is come in here on Sundays and sit, this is what's wrong with the American Evangelical Church right now. We're trying to run it like a Burger King. Have it your way. It, like if, if the only thing that you do is, is come in here with this consumer mentality, uh, and then when the church doesn't do what you think or, or put you in the right spot or sing the right song or use the right translation or have the right children's ministry, you just leave and go consume somewhere else. If that's the only thing you do, you don't serve, you don't serve the community, you have no ministry, you don't give, all you do is come in here on Sunday don't be surprised if you have no opposition because the devil has you where he wants you. And listen, I'm not questioning your salvation. I believe you're saved, but there's no need for him to oppose you because you're not doing it. As a matter of fact, when I go through seasons, and they're, and they're very few and far between, when I have a reprieve and I could be like, Whew, there's no fire to put out, there's no conflict, everything's going well at church, I, I, I pray this prayer, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Because it's when you start walking in step with the spirit that we've talked about in this series that you're going to have opposition from the enemy. If you're not moving forward and you're not advancing in your faith, there's really no need for the devil to oppose you. I want to share with you a quote from just one of my heroes, he's passed on, Warren W. Wearsby. He's a great scholar and commentator. He said this, and, and I really want this to sink in and resonate with you. He said, sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. We have done a great disservice as American evangelical pastors at some of our churches, we've made them playgrounds, not battlegrounds, right? Well, you got to have fog machines and you got to have the right lighting. And you, if you want to do children's ministry, you've got to have sliding boards that go this way and go all the way down and, and drop them off at the, at, at the children's center. And you better have great coffee and you better do this. And, I, and listen, we have coffee. We have children's ministry. We have great services. We have lights. We're thinking about getting a fog machine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is all you offer and the center of that is not Jesus Christ, what are we doing? Why are we here? I've heard it said that the grace of Jesus, the life-saving blood of Jesus is absolutely free, but it'll cost you everything you owe. It's a battleground, not a playground. And if you're not experiencing opposition from the enemy, I, I would just encourage you to pray and ask why. Chances are when you strip it away, it's because you're not really doing anything for the kingdom of God. 
I know this is a this is a seat this is a space maker sermon. I know that, and I'm not trying to to run anyone off or frustrate you. I'm trying to encourage you to get in the battle. All right. So direct opposition, and then number three, the final way is through counterfeiting. One of his biggest schemes against people is counterfeiting. And what I mean by that is Satan imitates many Christian patterns and activities in order to keep people from following the real Jesus Christ. It's a fake. I used to be a school teacher, and now I'm a preacher. It's funny how the world works. But um, every year I was in charge of taking like 50 uh, eighth graders to Washington, D.C., uh, and we would tour like the White House and the monuments and, and, and Smithsonian and all that. And every year was the same. Well, we would get there and we would always have like this tour guide that would meet us there to kind of take us to these places. Um, and, the, and the first thing she would say is she would say, listen, there's all these vendors out here uh, on the street. They're selling watches and uh, sunglasses and these things. Uh, don't buy from them because they're, they're marketing something that's not real. These aren't real. Well, outside of our hotel, we had one, and he was selling Oakley sunglasses, all right? I don't know if you've ever bought a pair of Oakleys, but they're not cheap. Well, <laughs> he was selling them for $10 a pair, all right? And even though uh, the kids were warned, hey, don't buy these glasses, they stay away, by the end of the week, we would get on the bus to come back to Georgia, and 95% of them had Oakley sunglasses on, Right? And then the funny thing was, the next week at school, they'd come back complaining because the lenses would fall out or they would break. And, and one girl had a black mark on her nose because it got wet and she couldn't get it off. And I'm like, that's what you get for buying Folkleys. And they said, we didn't buy Folkleys. I said, I, we bought Oakleys. I said, no, you bought Folkleys. Fake Oakleys. They're counterfeit. They're not the real thing. The devil loves to use this scheme. Loves to think you think that you're doing something legitimate or worshiping the real God or the real Jesus, but he's presenting this false interpretation of who Jesus is. Jesus warned us of this, and I think we think that it happens outside of the church. Jesus says, no, 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 the danger's inside of the church. Because listen to what he says in Matthew 7:15. He's talking about false prophets. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Um, there's a movie I watched several years ago that really stirred me uh, emotionally. Um, it was based on the true story of Chris Kyle. It's called American Sniper. And so let me just say this before we go any further, because I'm in the pulpit and I'm not, I'm not promoting the movie. I'm not speaking out against the movie. I'm telling you, I watched it, all right? And if you're looking for a church that tells you this is the type of movie you should watch, this is the type of music you should listen to, this is how you should cut your hair, this is the translation, this is the songs you, you should sing, you're at the wrong church because we're here to introduce you to Jesus and we want you to do what we're doing, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So anyway, I'm not endorsing or denying the movie. I'm just telling you I watched it. Graphic movie. And uh, one of the scenes uh, of Chris Kyle, he was the, the American sniper, um, he had a flashback to when he was a little boy. And his brother was getting just pulverized by this schoolyard bully at school, just, just beating him. 
And so he just steps in and just beats this bully up, right? I love it when a bully gets beat because I don't like bullies. Um, and so then it's, it's flashed to the family dinner. And they're sitting around, and the dad's there. And the, imagine a drill sergeant as your father. That's kind of this kind of gruff, harsh man. And, and he sees one son with a black eye, and he's heard the older son got in a fight. And so he goes on, and he gives this kind of speech. And I'm going to paraphrase it. But he says, basically, there are three types of people in this world. He said, there are sheep, and the sheep are the innocent. They either choose to believe that evil doesn't exist or they're just, they're, you know, there is a, a naivete when we're younger to, to not see the dangers out there. There's that type of person. Then he said there are wolves. He said, and wolves will take what they want from the sheep. They don't care. They, they just want what they want. And then he says, and then there's sheepdogs. And the sheepdogs will stand up for the sheep. And the sheepdogs will fight the wolves off. When I saw that scene, you know what the very first thing I thought of sitting in the movie theater was? Our elders here at Elevate Christian Church. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've been here for over 20 years, and you don't, I, I would not stay at a church and, and minister if, if I didn't believe in the leadership. Would not do it. And so we have some great, great leaders. But what I appreciate about our elders the most is if somebody rolls up in here, and is trying to cause dissension or trying to preach a false Jesus or trying to stir things up, they are sheepdogs, man. They are on them. Now, they're like ninjas. You won't even know what's going on, but they are there. All of a sudden, you won't see somebody at church and be like, well, where's so-and-so? You know, we can't talk about it, right? They're sheepdogs, and I love that. I also love the fact that tomorrow... I can call all my preacher's friend, all my preacher friends and say, you know what I did? I just called all our elders dogs to our congregation and I still have my job. <laughs> but, but I love that about them. They, will, they protect the flock from counterfeiters and from watered down counterfeit gospel. If I got up here and preached something that was watered down, I would be in a circle with them immediately probably. I love that. We're guided by the staff here, but we are guarded by the elders and we are gifted by you, the body of Christ. That's our model. Look what Paul says about false apostles. He had a church in Corinth that was just being overrun with them. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he says in verse 13 and 14, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Listen, these are people in churches, in pulpits, leading small groups, in Sunday school classes that are disguising themselves, are counterfeiting Jesus. And then he says, well, it's no wonder, verse 14, here, here's their example. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I think we have this misrepresentation of Satan that he's like this, this devil with you know, red ears and a pitchfork. Uh, no, he's beautiful. He's an angel of light. And man, he, he's a smooth talker. And he will lure us in. But he lures us in for his ultimate goal. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. A quote I use very often here every few years is by a, a great theologian named A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds 
when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. I love that because I want you to think about it. If I were up here preaching a prosperity Jesus, that, hey, Jesus is not really concerned. As long as you're in the family, you're in the family, and you're always going to be healthy. You know, you're not going to get sick. You're always going to have money. You're always going to have, like, the parking spot up front at the mall. I've actually heard a preacher say that, that his wife gets a parking spot at the crowded mall because of the favor of God on him. If I was preaching that and you followed that Jesus, you're not following the real Jesus. And the only thing that can save our souls is the real Jesus. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm out of time, so let me wind this down. Because we're going to get into the armor of God next week. But let me share with you uh, an event that happened to me this week. Uh, I think it happened Thursday night. So Paulding County um, is on winter break. And so... My wife is on staff here, and, and she's over the, ch- the babies, the children, the middle schoolers, and the high schoolers. And so the net result is a lot of times when there's no school, we have like a house full of kids spend the night. And so it was the boys' turn to have some friends over. And so it was Thursday night, and uh, they, had, they had some friends over, and, and, and they were doing their thing. Uh, I, I was laying in bed, and I, I know exactly what time it was. It was 11.55 at night. And I'm laying there, and I can see out my bedroom window. We have this super long driveway now, which I love it. Um, And if anybody's coming in, like, that late, they're not supposed to be there, right? And so I see a car coming down the driveway, and I'm like, what is going on? And then as it gets closer, I notice it's a police car. And I thought, oh, man. (laughs) My boys have led you got to watch preacher's kids. They've led these poor boys from the church astray. They're fishing in the neighbor's pond or they're doing something they're not supposed to. They got caught. And, you know, now I'm going to have to call their parents. And so, so I go out. of. The, I wake up Lindy and say, hey, the police are here. I don't know what's going on. And she jumps up and she's all like bleary eyed. And, and we go out in the living room and all our boys are there and they're like freaking out. The, the cops are here. And I'm like, I know, calm down. Like, if you're not doing anything wrong, don't act like you're doing something wrong. And so he knocks on the door, and I, and I open the door, and he says, is this? And he asked my address. I said, yeah, this, this is that. You're, you're in the right place. He said, well, um, we keep getting 911 calls, but no one's on the other line. They just keep hanging up. <laughs> it was like a show from a, from a Western. Like, I turn around, and all the boys are, like, standing there, and I'm, like, eyeing them up. Like, not just mine, but, like, I'm like, oh, we might have to check these phones out. Like, what's going on? Here's what, here's what happened. And I didn't know this. If you have, like, an iPhone and you just, like, are playing with the turnoff button and you hit it, like, so many consecutive times, it'll call 911. And so they were just kind of sitting there talking and somebody was doing that. And they just kept getting 911 calls. And so the, the police officer was so cool. He's like, it happens more than you think. As long as you guys are okay, I'm good. Not even filing a report. And, and he left. All right, so I turn, and I'm going to go back to my bedroom. All right, well, to go to my bedroom, I've got to walk through the dining room, and then we have a landing for, for the upstairs, all right? And so my in-laws live with us. They, they moved in with us as they're building their house, right? And so I'm walking by, and I see my father-in-law standing there with an AR-15. <laughs> I'm like, 
we're good. <laughs> okay, now in his defense, in his defense, when the police officer showed up and when the boys started freaking out, when I'm walking out, my daughter, who's uh, 16, runs over to their room because they're right beside each other and knocks on the door and says, Benji, there's a man at the front door with a gun. Well, there was. He was a police officer, right? <laughs> well, I'm just walking by and he's just standing there, right? <laughs> What's going on? Oh, I love it. Ephesians 6, Paul says, hey, I want you to stand firm. But not only that, armor up. Because we, you have, I have, we all have a very real enemy at our front door. And he is armed and he is dangerous. He's at the front door of your heart. He's always at the front door of this church. He's at the front door of your home. He's at the front door of all your relationships. And he wants to get in and kill, steal, and destroy. But Paul says in Ephesians 6, stand firm in God's strength and armor up. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.